This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Welcome to the Bartender Journey Podcast, number 166. My name's Brian Vincent Weber. Thanks for being here today. Well, my guest on the show today is Frank Kaiafa. He's the author of the Waldorf Astoria Bar Book, the iconic hotel in Manhattan, the Waldorf Astoria, and he's been uh, managing that bar for over 10 years. So uh, interesting guy, a true New Yorker, and uh, we're going to talk to him in just a moment. First, a couple of things. If you listened to last week's show, you may remember I have a book to give away here. It's called The Year of drinking adventurously 52 ways to get out of your comfort zone and if you go over to bartenderjourney.net slash subscribe and subscribe to our email list you'll be entered into a random drawing to win this book and that the deadline for that is june 2nd at 11 59 p.m uh eastern time so uh and that'll be for uh u.s only because i have to ship this book to you so uh let's uh make that for united states only but uh yeah you can win this book if you uh sign up for our email list you'll be entered into that random drawing also i'd love to have your support on something there is uh, an award ceremony coming up it's called the taste talks food and drink awards and there's a category for best radio show or podcast and if you could help me out just by voting uh, all you have to do is vote and uh it would really really help us out here a lot and i'd really appreciate it uh if you go to bartenderjourney.net you'll find instructions on how to do that and uh or the link to get over there to do it and uh just ask you uh, for your name and your email address and then uh you can there's a whole bunch of categories there and you can vote in some or all or as many as you like uh just make sure you vote for that one uh you can skip all the ones that you want or put in as much as you want all up to you but as long as as soon as when you get to that category best radio show or podcast please put in bartender journey podcast and then they want the website address too so so you'll put in bartender journey podcast dash bartenderjourney.net that would be so awesome thank you so much so there's been a lot of talk about sustainability lately in bars and restaurants and uh you know just giving a little thought to how much you're throwing away, you know. There's a place in uh, Williamsburg, Brooklyn, called Lighthouse, and they're doing great stuff. And they're they're just uh, had a talk with uh, one of the owners recently about what they're doing, and uh, I wish I'd recorded it because it was really interesting. I'm going to try to get him on mic one of these days, but uh, it's really interesting what they're doing to reduce the amount of waste. I know at my bar we uh, throw away way more than we should, so uh, it's just something to keep in mind and. Um, you know, do what you can. Uh, in fact, there was a whole seminar about this at Tales of the Cocktail in 2015. Yeah, we'd be there, we'd squeeze juices uh, for the cocktails uh, freshly, uh, and at the end, we'd be throwing away all these lemon husks, and I'd be frustrated by it because, firstly, you, you paid for those things. You know, you buy lemons. I don't know if it's the same over here, but lemons are expensive. That's Mr. Lion. He's been on our show before. Uh, actually, his first name is Ryan, and his last name starts with a C, and it's so long and uh, hard to pronounce that he's not even sure how to pronounce it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know how to do that either. <laughs> Chafee Wardena is the closest I've got to, and every time I've been back in Sri Lanka, I keep getting told that's not even how it's said. So I don't know how it's said. I thought it was Chetty Wardana. That's, I mean, that's, that's why a I was, version. I, yeah, I grew up saying it in different ways and then got told each time it was wrong. He owns two bars in London, and one is called White Lion, the other one is called Dandelion. And uh, White Lion, according to the Mr. Lion website, MrLion.com, it says on there, White Lion is the first bar in the world that has no perishables at all. That means no ice, no citrus, or other fresh fruit. Pretty interesting, actually. The uh, All the drinks are pre-bottled. Uh, 
and uh, they're all made for you. They're all chilled to the proper temperature. In fact, he serves some drinks at other temperatures than, than others, <laughs> interestingly enough. But the entire bar and the bar program was built with sustainability in mind. As we set up the bars, it was something that was instilled right from the beginning. Uh, it partly came from my experience across the industry and, and coming across some of these things that were hugely wasteful and trying to say, well, could we set that up in a slightly different way? So it was a major part when we were setting up White Lion and Dang Lion was how can we bring in some of these ideas? Sometimes you can just think about what you're throwing away and, uh, and try to find a different use for it. So some of the stuff you throw away, it doesn't need to be thrown away just, just because the traditional use of it, the primary use, is, is our main function. There are so many things that else can be taken away from just this past weekend at the bar, I was getting ready to squeeze a whole bunch of lemons, and I thought, you know what, I don't want to throw all this away. There's great flavors in that lemon rind, or the, the peel, and uh, so I, so I uh, got my trusty vegetable peeler out and took all the skins off, and uh, you, you don't want any of that white pith, because that's that's bitter. But um, So then I took the lemon rinds, and I mix it with the sugar, just regular granulated sugar, and it makes oleosaccharum, which is delicious sugar and lemon oils that you can use to make uh, a rum punch. It's great. I made, I made a rum punch for an event at the bar, and uh, people are still talking about it. So I said, well, you know, it's all, all it's going to cost me here is uh, like a little bit of sugar. Squeezing loads and loads of limes. There's still, there's a lot of flavors left in that oil. There's a bitterness in the pit. There's lots of different, if you focus on it in a slightly different way, there's lots of different flavors you can start to take out of it. And incidentally, the citrus is a lot easier to squeeze once you take the rind off. One of the issues you might face when trying to go green in your bar is the fact that when your guest comes to goes out, that you know they want to be treated. Uh, it's a luxury night out for them, and uh, you know if all of a sudden you're not using a cocktail napkin or a, a garnish or something, uh, they're going to say, well, "Well, they're just being cheap here, right?" So there's a luxury angle that um, you, you got to keep in mind that that's why people are going out in the first place to be uh, to be treated. So what about straws? Straws is, is a difficult one because again it's that luxury connection. So one of the things you can do, um, Jamie Boudreau was talking about having little tasting cups instead of using straws to test. You know if you if you're tasting a lot of cocktails in a night, which of course you should be if you're testing your drinks, um, you don't want to throw away that that excess of straws. Uh, and in the same way, if you're giving them to your customers, perhaps you can use metal straws. You obviously can't reuse plastic straws, that's really gross. Um, and or do you charge for them? And so, you know, again, there's certain things you can do, but with the napkins, reusable coasters. But again, you can recycle some of these paper goods. Bottles we buy in bulk, and it's something that I wish we could see more of, is, is being able to use recycle, reusable containers. You know, beer companies have done it for years, uh, and Schweppes used to do it with the little miniature bottles, where you buy your tonic and send back the crates, and it's unfortunately something that's fallen away a bit. Uh, but some of these ideas, you can start to make them more applicable to your current bar setup. So some of the things you can do that save you time, save you money, and save you throwing away some of this stuff. Metal straws sounds like a great idea, right? Until you put it in practice, and uh, as somebody pointed out at, during the Q&A session, they're going to start disappearing. Ian McLaren, director of training for Bacardi, answered that question this way. Sometimes it's not about you know, completely solving something or completely eradicating something. So straws, for example, plastic straws are a curse, and it's very difficult to get people to not use them. Get people to pay for them is a bit like get people to pay for a carrier bag, so a plastic bag at a grocery store. It's five cents on top of a fairly big bill. Nobody really cares. They get one anyway. So the place makes some more money. Whether they give it to charity or not, I don't know. But you know, bring your own bag. They can bring your own straw. It's probably not going to happen. Um, you know, <laughs> but paper straws have been around forever. Compost straws. Yeah. Com 
Exactly, and then so you know, the, there are other solutions out there that the, they don't have to be uh, very technical, and, and you know, sometimes the simplest and easiest solutions are, are some of the best ones. And in some ways, you can actually get them to flip to your advantage and become something unusual and a point of difference. Um, you know, you'll see um, several different people this year using uh, the paper straws with a swirly pattern on them. Like, they make a drink look cool sometimes. Depends how kitschy you want to be. So yeah, sustainability. Give it a little thought and uh, see if you can't help make the world a little bit better place to be. Those straws, I tell you, one of the managers where I work now ordered like two cases of the wrapped straws. So, you know, each case, each little box has a thousand straws, I think. And then it's got to be like a hundred thousand straws or something. I don't know. It's a lot of straws, but they're all wrapped with paper, you know. So now it takes that extra work to get rid of the paper. We leave the top on, which I hate. I, I always take that off. Uh, you know, how you have the little bit of paper on the top of the straw. I always take that off when I serve it, uh, but leave it leave it on while it's uh, sitting there on the bar. But anyway, you know, so we're doubly wasteful now. We're, we're throwing away all that paper besides the straws. It's a shame. So like I said, there's a bit of buzz about sustainability in bars and, and restaurants these days. And in fact, uh, Tales of the Cocktail introduced awards for sustainability efforts. Uh, you can nominate you yourself if you're doing a good job or if you know of another bar that's doing a good job you can nominate them uh i'm gonna like i'm gonna nominate uh lighthouse that i mentioned in brooklyn because uh, i think they're doing amazing things so uh yeah i'll put a link to that on bartenderjourney.net along with the posting that goes along with this show number 166 if you ever have any trouble finding the posting that goes along with a particular show a particular podcast you can go to bartenderjourney.net and on the main page the podcast page there on the upper right hand side there's a google search bar that just searches uh, bartenderjourney.net only and uh, so you can type in the number in this case 166 or you can type in a keyword or uh, somebody's name or whatever you like in there all right let's talk to frank kayafa hello hi frank thanks for joining me today well this is a great book very thorough book there's uh how many recipes a lot of recipes i think it's over 800 all in wow amazing counting like uh variations on the themes so i guess you had to test all of these huh Yes. <laughs> tough job, but somebody's got to do it. It was tough. It's like uh, kind of like uh, Dante's Inferno. Be careful what you ask for, you may get it. Yeah, exactly, right? There are um, sort of tweaks on, on old recipes, existing recipes, right? Right. Well, uh, the bulk of the book is based on the two first books, uh, Old Waldorf Bar Days, uh, 1931, and the Old Waldorf Bar Book in 1934. Both were written or transcribed by uh, Albert Stevens Crockett. He was the hotel uh, PR person at the time. Okay. And, well, we f- we should first talk about the hotel. It's an iconic place, sure. an amazing place. I know uh, every. Sure. I know the president always stays there, stays there when he's in town. Yeah, every standing president since it's been open has uh, stayed at the hotel. Uh, two have lived there after their uh, uh, terms were over. I think Eisenhower and somebody else. Yeah, it's very iconic. You uh, feel the ghosts in the lobby, as I like to say. Yeah, isn't that funny? I'm not, I'm not big on the ghost uh, in that spooky stuff, but I tell you, some of the old hotels, you, you really do kind of feel it. Well, more like the presence of a lot of people that have mm. passed through there, really. Mm, that's a good way to put uh, it, yeah. And in regards to the books, they are iconic. They were one of the few books, you know, that represented uh, pre-prohibition drinking. And um, although Mr. Crockett wasn't a barman himself, he was left the original bar book, which was a uh, leather-bound handwritten book that was kept behind the bar, and the bartenders all 
um, you know, helped uh, fill this book in with recipes through the years. The old bar opened in 1897 mm. and uh, closed at Prohibition. So there were uh, a fair amount of years, probably about, what, 13 years or so right. of information in there. Uh, I tried as best I could to uh, secure the original copy from uh, Crockett's papers and some of his uh, known cohorts, but uh, mm. it was not to be. Uh, librarians all over the country scoured uh, probably a lot of old boxes for me and uh, were kind enough and just didn't find it. It would be great, I write in the book, that if someone, you know, reads the book or it comes to someone's attention that, you know, this is out and someone has it, I would love to just even see it. It would be unbelievable, really. Yeah, yeah, I remember reading that in the book. But you, you say in the book, too, that you felt like a uh, you felt like you were uh, sort of remastering old classic recordings. So you were, you were taking uh, the existing things and maybe just cleaning them up a little or making them more modern in some way? Well, yeah, I felt that, A, you could have used it, and B, like I said, uh, Crockett wasn't really a barman, so a lot of his transcriptions left something to be desired, uh, he, uh, you know, a couple of times, more than a few times, he wrote down uh, two dashes of uh, gin when it was really gum syrup. Mm. You know, he wasn't aware of uh, the difference between the two or just mis- didn't really know what gum was and, uh, you know, thought it was gin or a uh, poor entry by a bartender. Right. And uh, things like that just needed to be tweaked and cleaned up and also for the modern palate. I'm sure, like I said, you know, if somebody decides to, uh, you know, readdress these recipes in another 80 years, I'm sure they would have something to add themselves, you know, time and product changes. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. All play a part, you know? Sure, sure. Well, uh, actually, I made your pineapple fizz here from, uh, funny you bring up gum syrup, because uh, I just happened to uh, make your pineapple fizz just before we uh, got in the call here. And uh, I didn't have any uh, demerara syrup uh, made up, but I did happen to have some pineapple gum syrup. So I used that instead in your pineapple fizz and it came out pretty good. And yeah, that's kind of the idea of the book as well. I try to get that point across that, uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, how much you want to experiment. I think people should feel free to. Uh, there's kind of like this onus on, uh, you know, adhering to the recipe to the letter. Uh, you know, in some recipes it makes sense, or if you want to use that as a starting point and uh, see if you like it, maybe you want it a little drier or a little sweeter, then go ahead and, you know, make it for yourself because at the end of the day, you're the one drinking it, you know? Yeah, sure, if you're making it at home, but I, I, I'm... Assuming at a hotel, it's a uh, consistency is super important. Right. Yes. You know, in a professional bar uh, like ours, uh, you would have a consistent, you know, cocktail come out every time. Everyone here adheres to the same recipe, and that's what it is. But for the home user and someone just maybe dipping their toe into the murky waters of cocktail making, mm-hmm. uh, maybe they want to, you know, find what their palate is. So the only way to really do that is to uh, try different things. Sure, sure. I read that um, in 2005, the Peacock Alley bar was renovated, and uh, you were asked with, uh, you, at the same time, you were asked to revamp the beverage program, yeah? Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was a it was a strange time as, uh, you know, a whole new cocktail culture was burgeoning. It was very, very little known. Uh, I just felt like I had an opportunity to do something a little different and take a fresh perspective 
on uh, what could be done, you know? Mm-hmm. So, like, um, fresh juices and house-made bitters were uh, done right from the start, which was, like I mentioned in the book, virtually unheard of at the time, even though, you know, a few uh, well-known or underground uh well-known bars were doing it, Sasha's uh, Milk and Honey, right? And uh, right. a few of the, uh, you know, EO was just opening at the time, and Pegu Club was just opening at the time. So it was in that era when we opened as well. And uh, how about Dale DeGroff? Did you have much contact with him? Sure. I worked with Dale prior to uh, opening Peacock and other bars and such, and, you know, of course, yeah, big influence was, and uh, yeah. supporter. Uh huh. He's kind of thought of when when you think about this new cocktail renaissance, if you want to call it that. Uh, he, but uh, you know, I, I I tend to wonder if the hotel bars uh, kind of at the forefront of this of this revol- revolution. You know, especially uh, iconic hotels like the Waldorf. I don't know. I, I think it all played a part. Everyone was hand in hand, and there was very little cross pollination. I can tell you that. Yeah. Uh, on my end, anyway, you know, whether all the all the uh, cocktail centric bars all got together in a secret meeting, I don't know about, but I certainly <laughs> wasn't there. That's funny. So you've been working at that hotel for quite a while, then, huh? Yes, yeah, since then. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, you could have taken this thing in a lot of different directions. You could have went all old and tried to do what I did now with the book and revamp old recipes, but I felt like we had such a good uh, uh, dining and cu- cuisine going at the time that uh, an eye to the future was definitely needed. So a lot of the recipes that are now, you know, the, the Peacock Alley especially have become known for, like the Tweet Grasshopper, the uh, Jaded Grasshopper, and things like that, what came out of uh, the view that we should do something new, take some old recipes and really tear them down and build them back up for the modern palate. Mm, that's great. And then did I read Because I felt like mm-hmm. if people saw a mint green grasshopper go out, no, they would assume it was a grasshopper anyway, you know? Like they right. didn't have to know it was the tweak one. And if somebody wanted a classic one, we were more than willing to make it. Gotcha. And then did I read that before 2005, there was actually no bar. It was all a service bar. Everything was made right. in the back of house. Uh, yes. When it was uh, a fine dining restaurant at the time, yeah. Uh, there was a back a bar in the back of the house, which was, uh, and it's a pretty long stretch to the uh, bar to the floor at the time. It was uh, <laughs> probably quite the challenge to get drinks out in a timely fashion, I'm sure. Yeah, but that predated sure. me by years. Uh, it was closed right after 9/11 and didn't reopen until 2005. Wow. Oh, yeah. I wanted to ask you um, what you look for when you're when you're hiring bartenders. Well, in uh, in a hotel environment, more than most, uh, I think you have to look for a personality uh, first. I mean, obviously, you want a certain skill set, but once they, once you establish that the the potential employee has that, I mean, the, the next thing you definitely need is a well-rounded personality, someone that can get along with uh, all kinds of guests from all over the world, uh, from uh, you know, uh, not lose uh, their cool when a celebrity walks up to the bar and. Right have an extra dollop of patience when somebody who's not a celebrity walks up to the bar and asks for something out of the ordinary as well, you know? Sure, sure. I, so heard, I think that's mm-hmm. very important. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard a lot of people say that hospitality can't really, it's, it's extremely hard to teach hospitality and you kind of have it in your genes or you don't. I mean, and you could tell a lot of that too. I feel like 
on the interview with someone affable after the first few minutes and a few, you know, lightened moments happen. Does that person lighten up along with you? Are they still, you know, stiff? If they still are, probably they're going to be stiff. That's just who they are through no fault of their own. And do they take themselves too seriously? And do they take the job, um, not the job, the, uh, the whole aura around it too seriously. You know, at the end of the day, we serve food and drinks for a living and we're supposed to put smiles on people's faces. I mean, that's what we do. So if that doesn't interest someone, you know, I don't know what they should be doing, but maybe, you know, a hospitality business shouldn't be, you know, one of them. Yeah, exactly. And I like how you say that, you know, some, some people, uh, not everybody's going to be interested in artisanal vermouth and uh, the, the spirit, you know, right. the history of the old fashioned, but uh, some people you know, will and some line, won't. The, right. The old line, how about those Mets? That's good too, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, the, or the weather. I talk about the weather all the right. time. Well, what do you, what do you kind of see uh, as far as trends in, in the future coming up with, with this, with this cocktail scene? I think a little less seriousness would be good. Uh, I mean, that's part of the focus of the book as well. Uh, you know, people should be able to order whatever they like uh, without, uh, you know, prejudice mm-hmm. or bias and uh, have the best apple martini they ever had. There you go. <laughs> that's how I feel, you know. And if simpler drinks come back, that's fine, too. It'll make the bartender's job easier, and they can focus more on hospitality and, uh, you know, having fun, providing a fun environment. Because that's why people go out in the first place, right? Right. If you wanted a drink at home, you can have a drink at home. Yep, absolutely. All right. Well, last question. The the Pineapple Fizz has a... uh egg white in it and uh egg whites and drinks are a little mysterious there's a lot of different methods there's a reverse reverse dry shake the dry shake and uh some people tell you you know it has to be uh you want to whip it before you even start shaking and uh, do you have any uh insights into using eggs and cocktails uh i found that during the process of making this book i felt that it really didn't make a difference if i put the half an ounce of egg white in with the rest of the liquid ingredients 90 percent of the time hmm. Um, I really don't, if you want to, you dry shake the ingredients or a couple of the other uh, wet ingredients, I feel actually makes for a better cocktail because you're not just shaking, you know, a small amount of egg white in a, you know, huge vessel and just coating the sides. Mm. So you already get a head start on the emulsification. But, uh, you can also, I also recommend in the book to, uh, emulsify several egg whites at once and then you know, put them in a container that you can shake prior to usage and just use it like a squeeze bottle and you can pour out a uh, half an ounce of egg white if needed and make the whole process that much easier. Right. Yeah, it's a little mysterious and it's, uh, I don't know, because of this, you know, like I said, there's so many different methods. Yeah, it's nice to see a professional bartender reverse dry shake and a couple of the bartenders at Lachine in uh, the hotel that we also manage do it and it's fine you know if you want to put on a show and all of that but at the end of the day i think emulsifying the egg white is what you want to do and how that happens the easiest way is probably the best way to do it there you go and you uh you have your own consulting company as well yes uh well i had to put it on hold based on uh based on uh, the amount of time that it took to write this book which was you know over uh, although i was consulting on a project 
during the research portion of the book, maybe about three to five years ago, when it came down to the nitty gritty, there was just really no time. Uh, but uh, I'm looking forward to doing that again as well. Uh, meet some new people and get involved in some new projects. Uh, I'm ready to turn the page, so to speak. Nice. Yeah, that's great. I talked to Jim Meehan one time, and he said, uh, people often come to me and say, uh, you know, I'm thinking about writing this book. And Jim says, the first thing I ask them is, are you sure you want to do that? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna. I'm going to have the same uh, response. I think <laughs> it's. A, I'm, I can imagine it's such hard work, and this is a very long book. Well, it took time because I had to. Uh, you know, I felt that I wanted to do all those recipes justice by finding out what was the origin, if they were proprietary cocktails, if they weren't. Do they show up in any uh, books that were published prior to the old books? And if so, which ones? And what was the order? And how did they evolve? How did they evolve to get to that recipe in the old books? And then checking any recipes maybe afterwards if they evolved post-prohibition as well. So although I don't get into it with every recipe because I didn't want to write a textbook, the results are there. Right. Well, sir, it was such a pleasure speaking with you. I don't want to take up any more of your time. Oh, it was great. And uh, I hope to run into you uh, at the Waldorf Astoria. Yeah, absolutely. Come on down. I will do that. Thank you so okay. much, sir. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye now. All right, the Waldorf Astoria bar book. Great book. And if you get over to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link to that where you can click through to Amazon and uh, purchase this book. And the pineapple fizz from this book will be our cocktail of the week. And it's two ounces of white rum, silver rum, one ounce of pineapple juice, fresh, preferably, if you can, uh, half an ounce fresh lemon juice. He uses a half an ounce of house-made demerara syrup. I actually used uh, pineapple gum syrup, which uh, was really good. That's from uh, Small Hand Foods. That's great stuff. And uh, a little sweeter than uh, the demerara syrup, so uh, I used a quarter ounce, actually. And uh, we used a half of an egg white, one dash Angostura bitters, and shook that all up top it off with a little club soda and serve it over ice in a highball glass. Pineapple fizz. Stand by for our toast. We do a toast every week at the end of the podcast, so stand by for that. But first, I'll tell you, my name's Brian Vincent Weber. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, you can feel free to email me for any reason at all. You can email me at brian at bartenderjourney.net. You can follow me on Twitter at barkeeptips. You can find the Facebook page for Bartender Journey. Just search, just search for our Bartender Journey. And please, please, please remember to vote in the Taste Talks Food and Drink Awards for the Bartender Journey podcast in the category of Best Radio Show or Podcast. I would so appreciate if you would do that. Uh, if you go to bartenderjourney.net, you'll see a link to it. And uh, remember, you don't have to vote in every category. There's a lot of categories there. You're free to skip it all except for... <laughs> that one that I just mentioned. Uh, you can skip skip as many as you like uh, and just vote in that one category if, if you want, if you don't want to take the time. Or uh, you can nominate your favorite bar, uh, your favorite bartender, your favorite chef, and uh, all these other categories. So uh, please remember to vote for Bartender Journey Podcast in the Taste Talk Food and Drink Awards. And as I said, you'll see a link to that on bartenderjourney.net. All right, here's our toast. Drink wine and live here blithful while ye may. Tomorrow's life too late is live today. Cheers. We'll see you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast.